Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father Brendan Kilcoyne, coming to you in the Brendan option. I thought perhaps this time we'd take a look, perhaps, at just some of the mail we've been getting. And I know we haven't really addressed this before now. And I've looked into my mailbag, so we we need to we need to just acknowledge some of these. Uh, some of them are lovely comments and encouraging. And then some others, they're kind of raising issues that are really quite interesting. So I, I thought perhaps we'd just take, you know, take one of these podcasts to just talk about the contact that people have been making with us. So we start with just some lovely stuff. Just make me feel better. Okay, Robert Nugent, one of the most powerful things I've heard a priest talk about this year. Great conviction, love for the faith. We need more of this. Thanks for that, Robert. Uh, we really appreciate, really appreciate that. It gives us an outlift. Uh, Martin McDermott found these podcasts, uh, been working through them. They're fantastic. Passion, enthusiasm, infectious. Martin, fair play. Thank you for that. Thanks for giving us the old kiss of life there and making us making us feel good about ourselves. Okay, great stuff. These podcasts are enthralling and informative. Olga Kennedy. Olga, thanks a million. Thank you for that. Kat Mangan. Fantastic. You speak with passion and in a way we can all understand. Caught this by accident and delighted I did. Great to hear from you. We're delighted you found us and that, you know, we have something that that's speaking to you. Uh, Derek Langdon. Wow, I'll be sharing this far and wide. May God bless this ministry and mightily transform the hearts of those it reaches. Isn't that lovely? Well, that's a powerful uh, message and we, we appreciate it, Derek. Uh, fair play. Thank you very much. Nice comment here. American Cradle Catholic, old enough to have served a Latin Mass. Enjoyed the podcast very much and looking forward to more. Fire balloon. So listen again. Thanks a million. Old enough to have served a Latin Mass. Well, in fairness, that's mature, but still not entirely old. I didn't serve the Latin Mass. I served the English. I remember the cloth being put out on the altar rails and the altar boys bowing to each other and the great candles over the high altar. And it really was for a small boy. It was very impressive. The whole thing was very impressive. I immediately went home and put on two tea towels and tried to say Mass. There you go. There's a Catholic childhood for you. Genevieve Davis. I love it. The hedge it is. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Genevieve. I was quite proud of my demand for a hedge. Thanks very much for that. And and I, I just want to say again that I'm absolutely convinced here that uh, we need to come up with an educational model uh, that will answer this new situation. I, I really do. And of course, the hedge was where I was saying, you know, that we used to have hedge schools back in the 18th century. Back in the 19th century, we used to have hedge schools and maybe we needed to get back to the hedge. You know, maybe we needed to just get back to these wandering teachers. Uh, Genevieve again, a little too deep for the ordinary layman, Kierkegaard, but yes, tradition can sometimes quite unawares and unintentionally block the pathway of God being Catholic and a lay Franciscan. I'm constantly searching for the balance between tradition and the transcendent in the hope of not quenching the Holy Spirit. Keep searching, Genevieve. Absolutely, you're right. There are a whole load of tensions there. Kierkegaard's deep. There's no question about that. And I'm not saying I understand him well, but one of the great things a teacher does is to take complex things and explain them simply. And our ambition on this podcast is to do more and more of that. I was told once by somebody that the French call it haute vulgarisation, high vulgarisation. So it's where you take something and you simplify it. But it's not easy to simplify this stuff. 
you know, so this is what we're going to aim at and try to become good at. And it's not because people are stupid, far from it. It's because people are busy and they simply don't have time to read up on a lot of this stuff. Their lives are just, are just crazy. So we see it as our mission to serve this up. We're going to, like Julia Childs did for America and Elizabeth David did for Great Britain and Ireland, we're going to bring French cuisine, high cuisine, and we're going to bring it to everybody. Okay, that's, what, that's the kind of thing we're aiming at. Sarah Williams, never been so grateful to be an inverted commas weirdo. God bless you for your in insightful wake-up calls. Thank you, Sarah. God bless you for that lovely comment. Uh, again, I was saying in that, you know, that we're all weird, basically. Teenagers are terrified of being considered weird. and We should get in touch with our inner weirdo. You know, this thing of, oh, you know, I'm afraid to be a Catholic because you're different. You're different anyway, my friend, let me tell you. The Protestants are different too. The non-believers are different too. The Muslims are different too. Every human being is weird. There's a lot to be said for getting in touch with that and getting some ease in your own skin. Fair play, Sarah, and thank you for that, that great comment. These podcasts are a breath of fresh air, Ash Ford. Thank you, Ash. Keep breathing, even with the mask. Okay, you keep breathing and we'll keep supplying the fresh air. We've got a ton of fresh air, believe me. Uh, and we intend to keep pumping it out there. Antonia Moffat uh, has, has given us a really meaty comment here. Really appreciated the podcast about spiritual leadership, joys, sorrows, challenges and failures. Usefully challenging to us all for both laity and clergy alike. In the present beginnings of post-lockdown, much of what you've said is profoundly prophetic as to how we move forward in the church. More purified, smaller numbers initially, it would seem. Not something to be afraid of, it has happened before. You quoted the penal times in Ireland when priests were prepared to go to their deaths for the sake of Christ and his holy church. These times are on us again. You're right, Antonia. These times are on us again. You're dead right. What matters is heaven and eternal life and priests and people alike need to be mindful of this. And remember that our role as Catholic faithful alongside our priests is to lead people to heaven. Jesus invites us into the boat of the church. He is with us despite the horrific and torrential storms. The boat has never sunk. It will remain for the gates of hell will not prevail against God's holy church. We have to have courage to be with Jesus in the boat of God's holy church in this storm, no matter what the cost. Antonia, that's powerful stuff. And that is absolutely true. This thing about, you know, we have to get people to heaven. I keep remembering General Mattis's famous comment to his soldiers. Be polite, be courteous, have a plan to kill everyone you meet. That's a professional soldier's view. Our view is as soldiers of Christ, be polite, be courteous, have a plan to get everyone you meet to heaven. That's our job, is to get people to heaven. You are so right, Antonio. Well done and thank you. Great comment. Caroline McCamley. There's two great comments here. Lay Catholics need to lead where they are at in the world, in their families, communities and at work. So she's very much following on there from Antonia. My biggest challenge as a parent is to pass on the faith. Absolutely right, Caroline. Too many parents expect that their Catholic schools will do this or at least to help. The Catholic schools I send my kids to did nothing to pass on the faith. They actually undermined it. Bracket, a non-practicing, probably non-believing teacher preparing children for sacraments does untold damage as children idolise their teachers. Close the bracket. Caroline, you're bang on. You're bang on. Lay Catholics need to build their own faith communities. We need to cling to each other while always reaching out to others. Thankfully, we have found some other slight crazies to cling to. Two exclamation marks. Absolutely, Caroline. Uh, we're, we're, we're all a bit cracked here, slightly touched, and we're delighted to have found you. 
Okay, we all need to get together here. Um, it breaks my heart to to say it. I had already said it in the podcast, and I must agree with you, Caroline, that we do have a serious issue with Catholic education. Uh, and I really feel for parents. I really feel for devout Catholic parents. I have to say, and, and there are fantastic people in the Catholic schools. They're doing a fantastic job. Our Catholic schools are educationally excellent. They are passing on a version of the faith, but I don't know if it's at this stage in some schools recognisably Catholic. It's Catholic light. It's Catholic with a lot of soda. It's Catholic with a lot of, ooh, a lot of blackcurrant. Okay, you, you can take your choice of mixer in there, but it's a lot of mixer and very little drink. All tonic, very little gin. I think what we are trying to do here, Caroline, is we're talking to the kind of man or woman who drinks their whiskey neat. We like people who take their Catholicism straight up, as the Americans say. So we're completely on the same hymn sheet there. I, I'm sorry to say that because I know from my own experience what fantastic people there are in the Catholic schools and I know that they're trying their level best. But I think something is wrong that's bigger than all of us. There's something very seriously wrong. And it's bigger than those fantastic teachers and it's bigger than all of us. And you're right, there's another problem there where non-believers are preparing the children for sacraments. That is actually happening. It's by no means happening everywhere, but it's happening. And parents have spoken to me about it in, with consider, considerable concern. My big problem at second level is that you could have a non-believer taking religion class. And I still think that that person could take religion class at second level if they would say to the kids, look, I'm not a believer. I, I want to serve the school. My school is Catholic. It's a Catholic house. Maybe my contribution would be I'll give you an introduction to philosophy. What about that? What if I gave you two classes on Plato and Socrates and Aristotle a week? Would that help? I could do that, and that would be my contribution. I would say that person is one righteous atheistic dude. The, the medieval church used to call Socrates the sublime pagan. Don't the Jews talk about a righteous Gentile? That's a righteous Gentile. Okay, but that's not happening. They're being let do their homework. So, Caroline, I have good news for you. As bad as it, you might have found at primary level, you're going to find it worse at secondary. That's the extent of the good news I have for you. And again, I'm not knocking persons. There are fantastic people coming into the teaching profession in Ireland still. Bright, able young people. And there are people doing great work in the secondary schools, but it's not working. And I put the blame firmly back on myself and on the clergy. We're the leaders, and I think we dropped the ball in the 70s. We should have seen this coming. Do you remember what I said about Monsignor Korsh, old Monsignor Korsh in Manute, the history professor? He used to say to us in the early 80s, shortly after John Paul's visit, every time I think of Quebec, I tremble for Ireland. The faith collapsed in Quebec, a devoutly Catholic region of Canada, without any of the present scandals. I'm telling you, this is huge. We are fighting behemoth, leviathan. This is enormous this cultural shift. So, Carolyn, you're on the ball. And we're not fighting with anyone, we're not disrespecting anyone, we're not disrespecting their efforts, but Catholic education is banjaxed. Okay? I don't know any other way to say it. Okay, I don't know what else to say to you about this. You know, if I've hurt you by saying that now, if you're a Catholic teacher or whatever, by all means, reach for the ash plant and give me a good going over with it, but I, I would love to hear what your counter-argument is. 
I really would love to hear it. Caroline, again, there's no Catholic education. Fair play, Caroline, I'll tell you your game. There is the odd Catholic teacher with the odd Catholic student. Well, there again, Caroline, you're saying what I was saying. We as a church are investing huge time and energy in schools with very little and possibly capitals no return. I spent years defending Catholic schools, fair play. I spent four years on board of management, again, fair play, defending an ethos that didn't exist. Woo! I'll tell you, Caroline, you you don't pull your punches. <laughs> I think you picked up a, a hurley on the way into this conversation. We need to have faith and bail. Ooh, there's the Brendan option. We need to have faith and bail. I presume you mean get out. I presume you mean jump ship, pull plank. Perhaps we can focus our energy on formation for the small number of families who turn up each Sunday. Okay, Benedict's creative minorities. Yeah, I hear people talking like this. I hear, yeah, I hear people talking like this. My local Catholic primary school has 1,200 children. Goodness, that's a serious school. That would be a huge secondary school. I doubt if even 100 of those show up even occasionally. I'd say you're right. Not judging them, simply stating a fact. Again, what can I say to that? You, you, you put it perfectly. Kira Ferry. Beautiful, Father Brendan, thank you. I'd be very interested to hear more of your thoughts on the Catholic schools now that there's words of a citizens' assembly on education down the road. Kira, a citizens' assembly is what they set up when they're about to bring in something they want to bring in. It's a packed jury. You know, I'm not saying that they pick the people. I'm just saying that you can't go wrong in Ireland nowadays. If you take a, take a cross-section and you ask them to, I don't know, shoot every priest they can find you'll find a Citizens' Assembly who'll pass that. Am I being unfair? Yes. Am I wrong? Not entirely. Not even mostly. But a bit harsh. So a Citizens' Assembly on education, we know what's coming. <laughs> the second thing, here, here she says it, in your view, are they worth fighting for? Well, okay, for a start, they're worth a lot. The Catholic schools, many of which are now formerly Catholic schools, in fact, de facto, not de jure. Okay, the Catholic schools are worth fighting for in the sense that they are excellent schools. It's not as if we've left behind a lot of schools that are just rubbish schools. They're excellent schools. Are they Catholic? I'd say with the best will in the world, many of them are not. I don't know who to start blaming for that. Because you're talking about people who are working every hour of the day. But with the best will in the world, I'd say no. What will happen to the sacraments if schools are not Catholic? Well, What's happening is that we have the sacraments for a whole load of people who aren't going to Mass or practice them. And the result is that a lot of priests actually secretly dread, they paste a sick smile on their faces, but they secretly dread First Communions and Confirmations. And I'm one of them. And they dread them not because the church is full of evil or bad people. It's not full of evil or bad. It's full of good people. They're good people. They're the loveliest, with exceptions, they are the loveliest pagans you could meet in a day's walk. They are the loveliest people. I don't know so, some other way to say it. Again, feel free to get me sacked. Get me put off the altar, get me suspended and excommunicated and banned and exiled to Great Blasket uh, as, as chaplain to the lighthouse keeper out there. And apparently it's automatic anyway, the light, lighthouse. So presumably I'll be on my own and I can't, I can't insult anyone out there. And when you've done that and I'm out there chained to a rock, we'll still have a problem in the Catholic schools. If you're upset, you shut me up. It won't solve it. There's a serious issue there.
And look, we've in my parish, we have Catholic schools and they're fantastic, fantastic teachers, fantastic children going to them. They're absolutely wonderful. That's not the issue. So please don't move the goalposts. Don't start getting upset. Oh, you're insulting our Catholic schools. I'm not. I'm calling it as Kira Ferry's calling it and Carolyn McCamley are calling it. We're just calling it. We're just naming this. There's a serious problem here. There's a serious problem with product description. There's an issue there. It doesn't do what it says on the label. Yeah, this is all very upsetting. I can understand that people would be upset on all sides. Again, Kira, we have the infrastructure in the parishes to deal with sacramental preparation. Oh, my. I think that's an understatement. If we got out of the schools in the morning, I, there would be chaos in the parishes. But we'd survive. We'd start to get our heads around it. We'd have to. We should have ages ago. In many places, although there would be less numbers. Well, that's the key point, you see. Everyone's saying, we've, oh, we don't have enough priests. We don't. We have enough priests for the Catholics, though. We don't have enough priests for running this outmoded system where you've hundreds and hundreds for First Communion and Confirmation who are really just culturally Catholic. And I've, I've asked this before, is what's a culturally Catholic? Is there Catholic cuisine? Is there Catholic language? Do you speak Parlez-vous Catholique? Do you speak Catholic? I mean, how many, most of the priests in the country couldn't speak Latin, never mind the lay people. I mean, come on, cultural Catholic. What, 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 is there a particular kind of bagpipes that are Catholic? Should we be all wearing kilts? Soutans? Ah, oh, come off it. We're going nowhere with this stuff. I, I don't blame you for not wanting to say that you've lost your faith and you're not Catholic anymore. It's a huge step. I don't blame you for that. I've said this before. But sooner, you only get one life, you only get one shot at this. You have to be what you are. If you're not a Catholic, I agree with Atheist Ireland on this. I do, I agree with them. You know, they, they go ape every census that's taken. You know, why aren't we asking besides, because people are, so many people are still self-describing as Catholic. Why don't we have another column saying, well, do you practice? And I'm sorry, but I agree with them. Let's call this. Let's see where we are. And I'm telling you there aren't many Catholics. The Catholics in the country, it's, we're a minority. We're a tiny minority in real terms. But there I go. I haven't the manners of a pig. I've just insulted half my own parishioners. I've insulted everybody. What a priest to deal with sacramental preparation. Uh, how do we prepare for such an eventuality? I know how we prepare for a care. We don't. That's what we've done. That's the way it is. It's coming and we haven't prepared. Would be interested to know your mind on it. Well, you do now. <laughs> God bless Kira Ferry. I agree with everything you're saying, Kira, by explicitly and by implication with your with your questions. I, I agree with everything you're saying. We're in the middle of an absolute disaster. We're not ready for it. But even to say that is a release. And I, I strongly believe, we look, we should wake Catholic Ireland. We should mourn it. We should get drunk and we should fight at the crossroads. We should wail and keen and we should pay people to do it if we can't be bothered doing it ourselves. At least our ancestors paid keeners. You know, someone was making a living out of it. If you're not sorry that someone's dead, at least you pay someone to cry. Okay, if you can't be bothered doing the crying yourself. It was civilised. You know, could we not pay somebody to mourn Catholic Ireland? Could we pay official keeners, for example, to get drunk, get scuttered? And mourn and, and keen like like the you know like the ones in Dion Buchiko's play the the Chacron, you know at the at the wake. Why did you die? Oh, why did you go? 
And could we just, could we bury that? And that's a, it's a painful, it is painful. It's 200 incredible years. They're full of suffering, full of incredible achievements and full of great wickedness because we did wrong things too. And I tell you, one of the biggest wrong things we did was get too cosy with civil society because everyone is saying it as if, as, as if we benefited completely from it and they got nothing out of it. Get away out of that. We were very useful to a lot of people. Now, sometimes they're good enough to say it. I will say that. I will say that. Sometimes you actually do get thanks. Yeah, but it's, it's eating bread is soon forgotten. But could we just could we just say that's over? As a church, could we just say it's over? And could we just tie our belongings in a coloured handkerchief and tie it to a stick? Do you remember in the children's stories, that's how you ran away from home. You tied everything in a coloured handkerchief to a stick on your shoulder and you ran away from home. Could we just go? Could we just head off down the road like a jerk, you know, in, in Irish, like a beggar man? And start again. And you'll say, oh, well, yeah, you know, I'm sure most parish priests would love that. And you're right. I love my comfort. I love my palatial residence, my parochial residence. I, I love my bit of comfort. I, I, I don't have any enthusiasm about ending up maybe begging in the rain on the roads of Mayo. You know, I say it because I'm from Mayo and the roads of Mayo are particularly evocative in rain and winter. But if it has to be, it has to be. I'm not changing my faith. I'm not changing my faith. I'm a Catholic and I'm a priest and I'm going to die a priest. Not a good one, unfortunately, but I'm going to die one. I'm going to die a bad one. Okay, but it's better than nothing. If you're a Catholic, live and die a Catholic. If you're not a believer, say you're not a believer. We have to try to have some integrity. Yeah, I value your thoughts on that. Maybe I'm going in too hard. Maybe you think I'm being offensive. I don't know. I, I, I just, I honestly agree with Atheist Ireland. I agree with some of these people. We're suffering. It's bad for our country. And I love my country. A Catholic should love their country. Should be a patriot. Love, love, love their country. I love my wet, boggy little country. I love it. And if you love your country, you shouldn't want it to be tormented with lies and pretense. And Ireland is no longer Catholic, and it, it breaks my heart to say it. Catholic Ireland is dead and gone. You remember Yeats? You remember the thing? Romantic Ireland's dead and gone. It's with O'Leary in the grave. And it was through words like that that Romantic Ireland rose again. And Yeats, Yeats also wrote, you know, did that play of mine send out certain men the English shot? He wrote about the men of 1916 that all has changed, changed utterly. Even McBride, whom he despised, who took his, his beloved, who swept her off her feet, Maud gone. Yeah, all has changed, changed utterly. A terrible beauty is born. You have to let something go in order for it to be born again. It must go down into the ground. And so I say, let Catholic Ireland die, that Catholic Ireland may be reborn. That's how I feel about it. So that's, that's where I'm coming from on that, Kira, And thank you for inspiring that rant. Sean Hurley, I know Sean well. Sean was with me down, he was with Nett, uh, with me down in um, Nathan Wright. Great guy, super young man. Sean Hurley is going to be a very important young Catholic in the future. I look forward to this every week now, thanks to Father Brendan and all the team behind it. Thanks for that, Sean, you're, you're a gentleman. Thank you very much for that encouraging remark.
Paul Brosnan, great episode again. Especially enjoyed comment about St. Mary's Cathedral in Killarney. It's the perfect cathedral, if I do say so myself. Pax, Paul Brosnan. Uh, Pax in eternum, Paul. Yeah, Pax to you too. St. Mary's Cathedral, yeah. The, the one thing, Paul, I'd say is... Um, is, is that renovation that was done in Bishop Casey's time, and Bishop Casey was in some ways a great bishop. It became unfashionable to compliment him later because of his fall, but he was in some ways a great bishop. But that, you know, that I haven't seen it, but that there was a most unfortunate rest, uh, kind of sort of modernization done to the inside. And they, they stripped, I think they stripped a lot of the plaster in order to to show up the, the stone underneath, but... But that rubble stone wasn't meant to be seen, and the plaster, I think, had uh, had a lot of. Um, it was in Tum Cathedral as well, and they covered it over in the thirties, I think. Stenciling. Uh, if I'm wrong on that, Paul, come back to me on it. But I, I think that there was a very unfortunate modernisation done to the inside. A lot of these cathedrals ended up looking their best from the outside. They did, they did, because it cost too much to wreck them on the outside, so they were just wrecked on the inside. And they were wrecked all over the country. Cromwell would have actually been proud of us. We didn't stable our horses in the cathedrals, but we did everything else. We certainly ended up leaving them looking like stables inside. If you put a pile of hay in the corner and a couple of broken-winded horses, they wouldn't have looked out of place. And I, I suppose I'm being now I'm being unmannerly again and uncivil, and, and uh, I, I really am a despicable little priest. So, Paul, I don't know, am I being unfair to, to, to what was done to Killarney? I, all I know is that I always heard that Pugin, I think Pugin said it was the only one he was completely happy with, was Killarney. And it certainly is beautiful. Yeah, it certainly is very lovely. Eamon Costello. I love this. Oh, no, I love this. Oh, thank God we got to Eamon. Okay, I love this. This is my favourite comment. Who are you people? Who funds you? Eamon, I want to thank you because that is the most outrageously flattering set of rhetorical questions we received. It's made me feel so dangerous and important. Who are you people? Who funds you? Eamon, I could tell you very easily, I'm a broken down old parish priest in the Archdiocese's tomb, recovering from a stroke. I couldn't be less impressive, I'm afraid. I'm being helped by two very talented young people, but they as yet are not well known. Uh, they're very gifted in the, in the whole world of media. But I can tell you straight, we've precious little money behind us. We had a bit of funding in the beginning, didn't we? We got a little bit, somebody came up for us, came up Trump's, yeah. We got a few quid and then nothing for a good while. And now, all right, somebody has recently has put a bit of money into us, but not huge. But this person has been incredibly generous, bought some equipment for us. But Eamon, that's actually where we're at. It's very much beginnings. I, I tell you, Eamon, if you were willing to put a few quid into us, we'd take it, you know. But uh, certainly I, I want to thank you, Eamon, for making me feel more important than anyone has for years. Uh, Robert Nugent again, excellent podcast, would be better in a video format. That's interesting, Robert. That's come back to us from a few people, including a, a, a priest friend, bishop friend of mine, actually, uh, he said pretentiously, is that the video format, I'm pleased to be able to tell you, Robert, we're on the cusp. Isn't that how you say it? We're on the cusp of a new chapter. We may soon be, be going video and my ravaged features will be inflicted on the nation. My lived-in face, shall we say. I'm being kind. So I've grown a beard, Robert, especially for the video, to make me look wise and grave. 
Matty Newell via SoundCloud. Uh, could you do one around priestly fraternity? Many younger priests seem to have this desire for more intentional presbyterate for the sake of renewed identity and mission. Good point, Matty. Uh, how does the Brendan Option vision envision the role of this personal insights question? Fair play, Matty. You've raised a lot of hairs there. That, that's an, a very good good set of questions. Uh, we would like to do more. I did address it on the podcast as a result of your question when it came in, which is some time back. We would like to do more around priestly fraternity. I am aware that the younger priests are very exercised by this. And clearly they're not as weird as we were and they're not as able to take the loan in us, which is fair enough. Probably we, we put up with too much of it and didn't do enough about it. Priests used to gather together and, 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 uh, in card schools and they'd play a game of cards and have a bite to eat together, which did them a lot of good. For years, myself and two other priests, when we were stationed in the same town in Tume, we used to um, meet for a bite to eat on a Friday evening. We'd meet for a bit of Italian uh, because we were all very fond of Italian food. And we'd meet on a Friday evening and have a bite to eat in Galway. And it did us a power of good. So you can do priestly fraternity through quite ordinary things. Uh, some groups are very big into it. Opus Dei do excellent work in this regard. They have priest circles and, uh, you know, they ha they'll have a meditation, they'll have a bit of a talk and then they'll all go for a pizza maybe or something. Uh, I know communion and liberation are big into eating together and I think their priests address fraternity uh, in a whole lot of different ways like that. I would see a major major changes coming in the diocesan priesthood and the way we live our priesthood because we're seculars. So we have we don't we don't actually have vows. We used to be called Mr. You know, not Father. We were regarded as being very much second fiddle to the religious priests like the Dominicans and Franciscans, who were regarded as as, as much uh, much holier and posher and everything and, and cuddlier. You know, the Franciscans with their little furry habits and beards and little sandals. You know, the people liked them better. I'm being nasty now, in case you hadn't noticed. Okay, nothing like a bit of, of clerical infighting. Yeah? And we were called Mr. And secular priests didn't have vows they had promises, although there's really no difference spiritually. You know, there's no re it's very hard to make out the difference. And we didn't take poverty. We took celibacy, not chastity. Celibacy, which meant you had to be chaste because you were celibate, because you weren't married. So celibacy was implied, chastity was implied, sorry. And we took obedience to our bishop. But we didn't take poverty. We always said poverty took us. Okay, poverty adopted us. So you were entitled to a salary and you were entitled to, to own property and so on. So it's a, it's a different form of the priesthood. But we're enjoined by the Vatican Council very much to try to live a bit of community if we can. And do you know something? I, I would see this becoming a feature of the way... Uh, I'd say where you have clustering of parishes now, you'll have a few priests living together in a presbytery. Now, you always had that, but only in the towns. I could see it in the country parishes. I'd say where you've three or four country parishes clustered together, or a few of them, you'd have maybe two priests living together in a, in, in a sort of a strategic area or a point serving all of them. I'd say you'll see more and more of this. Now, for instance, the oratories, you know the oratories of priests, like the London Oratory and Newman's Oratory in Birmingham. They're groups of diocesan priests who, who, who get together. They live without vows. They live with an agreement together. And they can leave if they want. They can chuck it in and go back to the diocese. So that's an interesting model. I'm just saying, 
You know, I'm just saying there are different models for priests addressing this issue of fraternity. I think you can't beat, while we're separate and we're out in different parishes, you can't beat getting together for a cup of coffee or for a bite to eat. The Italians are much better at this than we are. Irish priests traditionally had a sort of Irish Catholic macho. They didn't much like praying together. It's a funny thing. <laughs> they, although, you know, they did pray, but they didn't like praying together much. So we have to get better at that. I think it would be nice to get together and maybe just pray the office together and have a bite to eat. And there are priests trying to do that. But I think we need to work at it harder. You have to work at these things. You have to invest into them for them to become kind of second nature and to really pay dividends in terms of psychologically, but also spiritually. Carolyn McCamley, uh, wait till I see. Carolyn, I'll tell you, you're the girl. You're a breath of fresh air. It's great to listen to a thinker. I do enjoy your honesty and your rants. <laughs> okay, fair play, Carolyn. Uh, in regards to our schools, I agree they're lost. No one's really happy with them, least of all Catholic parents. Huge energy is still invested in them with little or no return. Ooh, I'll tell you, this is this is this is uh, serious. The faith formation provided in many of them is probably challenging for children who do practice their faith. In some regards, it was for mine. Their Catholic school was the first place they had to defend their faith. Okay, <laughs> sounds all too believable. I remember my then eight-year-old coming home from school a few weeks after First Holy Communion. She was very annoyed by a class discussion about the existence of God and religion being anti-science. She was most annoyed by her teacher's total inability to make any effort to defend faith. It was her, a Protestant kid and a Jehovah's Witness against the class. That's brilliant. I love that. A friend of mine who went out teaching years ago, he went out teaching in a Catholic university in America. I won't say the order. But they sent him out for a few years to teach in one of the universities. He was a very highly educated guy. He was a monk. Uh, and he, he, was, he was sent out to the States. And this Catholic university, he said, was such a Catholic wasteland. It was such a spiritual wasteland. He ended up allying himself with the Orthodox rabbi who was teaching in the Hebrew department, in the Department of, of uh, Ancient Near Eastern Languages. And uh, he and the Orthodox rabbi hit up a huge friendship and they used to eat together in the canteen <laughs> and give dirty looks to the others. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that, that's a great story. The Protestant and the Jehovah's Witness and the Catholic and they, they, had to, they had to actually get together in order to take on the atheists. I also remember my son in sixth class, this is Caroline again, being punched by a classmate in the classroom some eight years ago after reporting he'd been at a pro-life rally at the weekend. <laughs> You couldn't make that up. Is this mess really worth saving? Now, Caroline, that's a very fair question, I'm afraid. We're, we're attempting to save slash protect something that does not exist. Daft when you think of it. Yes, COVID has fired a shot, which is calling a silent but deadly avalanche. Our Lady of Knock, pray for us. St. Brendan, pray for us. Caroline, I can only agree. And I'm not being nasty to our Catholic schools, OK? It's a bigger issue than personalities than people, persons who are teaching in the schools at the moment, the schools themselves. This is huge. Let me give you another story. A, a friend of mine told me, I, more than a friend, okay, close enough relation, very close relation, that she ended up having to ring her school's Catholic school, which had this magnificent statement of mission and vision and aims and, and determinations and, oh Lord, oh, up in the front hall, you know? Catholic to beat the band. She had to ring the school to ask them why it was the students were walking around with repeal the eighth badges. 
coming up to the referendum. And no attempt was being made by the school to address this. And badges weren't even allowed on the uniform. Any badges. And finally, when she made enough of a nuisance of herself, and she is a very reserved private person, and she has a background in education herself, she does not like, you know, being a complainer. Finally, the badges were taken off. But she was given the impression that she was a pain in the neck. I mean, come on. A young man I know told me that, as far as he knew, he and another lad were the only believers in his class of about 50-something students. So there we are. Our Lady of Knock is praying for us, I believe, but she has her work cut out for her. You know, she said nothing in Knock, and some people would say that she lost the talk <laughs> when she saw where she was. <laughs> Not Knock like, but Ireland. <laughs> We're some crowd. Liam Branagh, O'Hiffernon. O'Hiffernon. Is that Heffernon, I wonder? O'Hiffernon, yeah. Uh, interesting. Branagh is Welsh. Liam Welsh. Uh, Liam Branagh. Lovely name. Love it again. Uh, 15 pints is interesting. So many great bits. You're the Irish Jordan Peterson. Liam, God bless you for that. You've made my day. I'm not, Liam. I'm not. Jordan Peterson is a, a brilliant public intellectual and I'm as thick as two short planks. But God bless you for saying that. You're a gentleman. And I, I really enjoy Jordan Peterson. You know what I like most about Jordan Peterson? What I like about Jordan Peterson is that he's, he's a wounded healer. He's a suffering healer. His eyes are full of suffering. His face is full of suffering. That man has paid his dues at the door of the dance hall. I'm telling you. He has paid every way along the way. And I believe his daughter the same. And I love that. I don't love that he suffers because he's such a good man. I would wish him never to suffer. You don't wish constant suffering on anyone, even your worst enemy. Constant suffering is not, is not nothing. That's a terrible, terrible way to live. But his suffering has been so productive. I've said it before, this is the guy who has had the proverbials to look a camera in the face, a clinical psychologist, and talk about the power of human malevolence. It's as if we're afraid to talk about the working of evil in our personalities anymore. But he's not afraid of it. He reads Dostoevsky and Solzhenitsyn, and he's obsessed with communism and Nazism, as any great psychologist should be. I know you might be a bit scandalised by a priest talking like this, but... How can any psychologist, how can any great public intellectual look at the first half of the 20th century and, to paraphrase Orwell, say, WTF was that? Huh? What was that? What the proverbial was that? What the blank was that? Have I worn out my euphemisms? Killing of the Jews, what was that about? What madness gripped people? The most, one of the most brilliant peoples on the face of the earth who have contributed immeasurably to every culture in which they've ever been and committed the cardinal sin of prospering in spite of persecution. Are they perfect? They probably aren't perfect. No, no, no. There's, there, there, there's a streak in us. There's a, there's a psychotic streak in us. And it's more than psychotic. It's evil. There's some funny thing in it. And you listen to this as well. This is where I get like Kitty the Hare, okay? I sort of, uh, I, I pull in beside the fire and I start to talk about things I know nothing about. But <laughs> that's the sweetest talk in a way. I have a theory. It, it was first enunciated by a friend of mine. This is 30 years ago in Rome. We were standing beside the Colosseum. I remember it clearly. We had just had a nice dinner. 
and a few of us, we had a lovely pizza or something or a plate of spaghetti and we were walking back to the college and a few of us stood talking and we were talking about the absolute wreckage of a beautiful Irish church in so-called modernisation in the 70s. It was a very, it was a cathedral. It was a very specific church. This is in 1990 about. My friend said to me, you mark my words, he said, those who do that to buildings will do it to people. And what emerged later in the Irish church? He said, those who do that to beautiful buildings will do it to people. There was a, a psychotic streak in us. We got a kick out of doing that. I heard a priest who got a kick out of that destruction. I heard of one bishop who got this strange kick. It was, it was his own secretary at the time who commented on it. He got this strange kick out of the wreckage of the high altar. And the pouring of huge amounts of rubble stone into the tombs of the old archbishops. Oh, for goodness sake. Like, what? WTF was that? What was that about? Oh, what a way to summarise Archbishop Lefebvre, who's, you know, I know a controversial figure, but in some ways a very saintly man. Okay, I'm not saying he was a saint. I don't know whether he was a saint or not. The church decides these things. But I'm, I'm just saying... He was a much misunderstood man, and I know he did, he shouldn't have done what he did, but he was much misunderstood. And, I mean, in some ways that could have been said, uh, his admirers will, will, will be shocked to hear me, maybe scandalised to hear me say this, but his attitude, like the attitude of a lot of genuinely very holy and pious Catholics had seen the destruction that went on in churches was, WTF was that? What is that about? What's going on? We are the most intellectual of the religions and the most emotive at the same time. The entirety of the truth, as the Council affirmed, subsists within the Catholic Church. The entirety of the truth. It is at the Ark of the Covenant. As was Our Lady when she bore Christ, the Theotokos, the God-bearer. The Church is the Ark of the Covenant. It holds within itself the entirety of the truth in all its beauty and terror. What on earth were we doing that for? Why did we do that to our theology? Why did we do it? I, I know that, of course, I'm not suggesting that we should have spent ages just serving up unimaginatively potted versions of St. Thomas. Obviously, you know, there were great theologians in the 20th century. And obviously, you know, that could have and should have continued. I mean, thank God for John Henry Newman, who was suspected in his day, but who was a very great man who, who had sort of, you know, had, had shown fresh light on the tradition. But there was, there was something else. And I think Ratzinger saw it in the 68 rebels. I think he saw something dark, something evil. And it frightened the life out of him. Kung said about Ratzinger disparagingly, well, all right, maybe I'm being unfair, but as a kind of an attempt to explain him, 68 was what did it to Ratzinger. I think it may well have been, but not in the sense simply in which King meant it. 68 did it to him in that the beast showed its face in 68. Jordan Peterson talks about the way human malevolence in Egyptian mythology can blind a god. It was Horus that had one eye because he fought with the god of the underworld. And he said, what does that tell you? The human malevolence can blind a god. Human malevolence can crucify a god. Eh? Crucify God. 
And Ratzinger, I think, will be a saint. Benedict, he will be a saint. And what I mean is he'll be canonised. I think he is a saint. And I think he saw it. And I, I had a lecturer in university who had the same experience. I remember in the 80s and he was laughed at. And he was in his own way. He was a Protestant, a very saintly man. And it was the experience. He never got over the experience of the, of the student riots in 68. I keep thinking as the, the Italian minister of the interior who justified baton charging the students. He said, I won't allow the sons of the Roman bourgeoisie to throw stones at the sons of Sicilian peasants. The Sicilian peasants being the Carabinieri, because they mostly came from the south. Like most of the old DMP, the Dublin Metropolitan Police came from the west, because the police were a great job. No, no, there was something there. There was something there. I know there were issues. I don't question that. And I know there was idealism with the students, but there was something else there. There was a, there was a, a passion for destruction of order. And that passion for destruction of order is the enemy of the Catholic Church. It's the enemy of God. It's the enemy of us. The devil hates order. He hates harmony. Evil is always expressed in disharmony, in fighting and backbiting and hating, in a cacophony, in literally a cacophony, it's from two Greek words, kakos, meaning evil, bad. And then the second part means sound or voice. A cacophony, an evil sound. So yeah, the Irish Jordan Peterson am I. Jordan Peterson would have me for breakfast intellectually. Okay, but thank you, Liam. That's a lovely thing to say to a moderately bright Irish parish priest, but okay, I'm outrageously flattered. I'll take it. I may not get another. The classic Irish accent he's saying about me and more diverse intellectual references equip them for slaying dragons. You're right, Liam. It's producing dragon slayers we need to be. I started saying the prayer. My fellow priest in my parish has always said it at the end of Mass, but I didn't. But I've started saying the prayer to St. Michael at the end of Mass. Equip us, oh boy, for the battle. Defend us in the hour of battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God defeat him. We humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast Satan into hell and all the evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And I think we'll, we'll end on that. I just want to say a word of sincere thanks to Robert, to Martin, to Kath, to Derek, to Carolyn, to Carolyn especially, boy did Carolyn contribute, to Kira, to Sean, to Paul, to Eamon, to Matty, to Liam, Genevieve, Fire Balloon, Sarah, Ash and Antonia. You are a tonic. I really appreciate the feedback. And look, not only do we want you to come back, I mean, I love getting compliments. I'm, I'm just wary of reading them out because Irish people then hate you for getting compliments. But uh, OK, and I'm as bad myself, so I can't afford to criticise. I love getting compliments, but I'll tell you, listen, don't hesitate to reach for the ash plant. Reach for the stick if you have to, because it's absolutely crucial that we get this right. So we need everything you have to say. Uh, we want to hear you. If you agree, fair enough, and that's brilliant. And we want to hear why in your comments. But we also need to hear your criticisms. You know, if you've criticisms, come back. We need to get this right. It goes beyond ego. 
and I'm not, you know, God love me, I have plenty to be humble about and I'm still not humble. But this goes beyond all that. This is too important. There's too much at stake. Whether you write to us on YouTube, on Facebook or on SoundCloud or whatever else, we need to hear from you. And it gives us courage to know you're out there. God bless you. You're wonderful people. Thanks a million, St. Brendan. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.